We are in Galatians chapter 6 this morning. Only two more Sundays here in Galatians. Two more Sundays, and then we're off to look at a couple of the prayers of the Apostle Paul, and then an Advent series, and then Habakkuk. But I'll read the text for us. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We'll wrap up in verse 10. Looking at how the Lord has freed us and what sort of society God has called us to be. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Grab your seats, we'll pray. Father, we continue to humble ourselves before you, and we are following your guidance by faith. And so here again, Sunday by Sunday, we open the scriptures to sit at your feet and love you and worship you and adore you and hear from you and exalt you and be encouraged by you, and we ask that your presence would be our source of strength and our sense of clarity. Apart from you, we can do nothing, and so we yield ourselves to the inclinations and the impressions of God in us, the Holy Spirit. Make us sensitive to the work that you're calling us to. Lord, we join this morning with countless millions across the globe, some in prisons, others in palaces. At every point and every place on this planet, your people, regenerated, are praising your holy name, and we join in that anthem of celebration and that bowing of our souls before you to surrender to you more deeply. And so now, Father, as we look to the scriptures and what you have accomplished for us in the gospel, may you strengthen us to be the new humanity, the renewed society that you are establishing in this world as a precursor, the inbreaking of what will be, the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. 
Lord, only you and only by your grace can these things be accomplished. So be glorified now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Things in our society are absolutely not the way that they ought to be. Starting us on a serious, sobering note this morning, all one needs to do is read the headlines of any given newspaper this morning, and you'll see that our society is certainly not as it ought to be. School shootings are now a regular rhythm. About every quarter, 10 to 15 to 20 people are randomly shot. Girls my daughter's age today are enslaved to sick and twisted perverts who are for payment using them sexually. We fear on a daily basis at our parades and at our football games and at our events random acts of violence from terrorists, bombs blowing up. Society is not the way it ought to be when a doctor can say with a straight face, we're taking the members of an unborn baby's body and selling it for profit. And so things are not the way that they ought to be. And they never have been since the fall. Sin has wrecked society. Sin has wrecked our souls. And in the midst of all of this, God has always established his people at the center of a society that is not as it ought to be, his people in the center of that society to be a community living out how it ought to be. The church established by Jesus is the backwards community of new humanity. And as we talked about last week, God by the Holy Spirit is making you, you. But you can't become you apart from other yous. So in community, God is making you fully you, like Jesus, perfected. And you are enslaved one unto another. This means that your purpose in the society of new humanity called the church is to seek the highest flourishing of the person next to you, not to get from them, but to give to them. And Jesus established this backwards, upside-down society for his glory and by his grace, where the great ones are servants and toddlers, where the weak and the marginalized are the winners of the race, so to speak. And so the church sits in the midst of this society, living as it ought to, and it's an already not yet reality. We are still fallen, and we are still fallible creatures, and so the church, in many ways, because of sin, does not exemplify what the kingdom will be in perfection, but because God's perfections by the Holy Spirit indwell you as a community, there is an already what will be reality to this society, and a not yet fully and complete so Paul has established for us that Jesus is and was and always will be the only human being who ever lived absolutely perfectly as we ought to. And God in his grace, as we place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, 
imputes, that is, he puts in us that perfection, that righteousness. He makes us as we ought to be supernaturally on the merits of Jesus' life and on the punishment via Jesus' death that should have been ours, all by grace. This gospel truth that God has substituted his son in our place, that Jesus has lived as society ought to have lived in our place, sets us free. We no longer need to work and labor and strive for acceptance and love and peace because Jesus has given us that freely by his grace. So out of that acceptance and out of that love, we now live free lives and we labor towards living as we ought to. That's the whole big idea for this morning. Our topic for our time together, as it ought to be society as it should be. And Paul lays out for us some of the bullet points on how a society that is living healthy, how a society that God intended and created to live should live. So we're going to look at four separate areas and four separate ways in which we ought to be living as a church from our text, starting with being gently assertive. Gently assertive. Read with me there in verse 1. A society of new humanity— in the midst of fallen society, ought to be gently assertive with one another. Notice what Paul says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Because we are enslaved one unto another, we are always seeking the highest flourishing of our fellow man, our fellow sister, our fellow brother. And the greatest diminishment of our joy the greatest source of our pain, that which stultifies our growth the most is unchecked sin. And so a society enslaved to each other, seeking each other's highest flourishing, says that which brings pain, that which brings harm to my fellow brother, to my fellow sister, I have a responsibility, a loving responsibility, to go to those who are caught in that self-deceived, self-destructive lifestyle of sin and say something about it. We are to be gently assertive. Now, as a people, we tend to be either cowards or crushers. What do I mean by that? We see someone caught in sin. It's obvious, it's egregious, it's a pattern. And in the name of staying comfortable, in the name of not causing problems, in the name of not creating conflict, we're cowards. We don't say anything at all. We let someone slip along deeper and deeper into the spiral of unchecked sin. Or there's the other side of the coin. For some of our personalities, we tend to be crushers. Do you guys remember the SNL skit? Church lady? Could it be Satan? <laughs> I think for some of us, our personality is inclined towards a self-righteousness. And so we see somebody caught in sin or we find ourselves saying, is that sin? Do I smell sin in this room? I think I smell sin on you. And we start sniffing for sin and we're seeking a way to say something to somebody in our self-righteousness to point the finger at them. Cowards or crushers. And I would say in my experience, for the most part, 85 to 95% of this room tends to be not as assertive as you should be with your brothers and sisters. We are a creature of great comfort, and we do not like conflict. We do not want to cause problems. 
But can I tell you this truth? Cowardice and crushing when it comes to seeking the highest flourishing of our fellow man, when operated in that way in the flesh, is unloving and self-serving. Cowardice is as self-serving as self-righteous crushing of somebody is. Cowardice is as unloving as is the self-righteous crushing individual. Because both of those positions when it comes to sin in the community, the new humanity, Jesus' society, are self-focused rather than other-focused. Primarily protecting our own personal space and place and comfort rather than serving our brother, serving our sister, going after them in tenderness and gentleness. And so we must be led by the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week. The Holy Spirit will incline you to speak to somebody. The Holy Spirit will grant you impressions of somebody who's maybe wandering away from the faith, maybe doing and involved in works of the flesh that they cannot get free from, and you're to be that voice of accountability. You're to be that voice of strength. You're to be that voice of comfort. Being filled with the Spirit is the means by which we confront each other gently and assertively as a new society of new humanity. So we ask the question, who's spiritual? Because that's what Jesus, or that's what Paul says there. He says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. My summary answer to that question is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you have a responsibility for your brother and sister today. I don't care if you've been a born-again believer for three minutes or 30 years, if the Holy Spirit indwells you and you're a follower of Jesus and you're being led by his grace and you recognize that sin is causing the hurt in another human being, then you have the spiritual responsibility to go to them in gentleness and in tenderness and say something to them like Jesus. And here's the key. When we are led by the Spirit, we are neither cowards nor crushers because Jesus always knew how to address sin. Jesus never said the same thing the same way to different people. For example, we have the Pharisees in the Gospels, and Jesus confronts their sin by simply saying, you're a brood of vipers. You're all snakes. Very offensive, very gruff, very tough. With his disciple, his protege Peter, who begins to slip into the deceiving ways and ideas of Satan, saying to Jesus, Peter saying to Jesus, you don't need to go to the cross. Jesus just gets right up in his grill, gets right in his face and says to him, get behind me, Satan. Calls it like it is. Assertive, in love with Peter, not letting his brother slip into Satan's deceptions. Get behind me, Satan. You're focused on the things of man, not on the things of the Lord, Jesus says to the religious extreme right. You're just a brood of vipers. You're all false. You're all hypocrites. But then we have these amazing places within the Gospels where a woman comes to a well and she's been involved in all sorts of marriages and all sorts of prostituting of her body, and Jesus doesn't confront her roughly and gruffly and toughly. Jesus asks her questions. He's very careful with her, perfectly, as society ought to be. We have another scene in John chapter 8 where a woman is dragged in front of Jesus. She's naked. She's been caught in adultery. 
the religious rite, the brood of vipers, the snakes, the serpents. They're ready to throw stones at her until she dies, and Jesus begins to work wisdom and winsomely by the Spirit, saying, you who don't have sin, throw the first stone. And one by one, they begin to peel away. And then his admonition to her, his tender assertiveness with her, seeking her highest flourishing is, does no one condemn you, woman? No. Go and sin no more. The Holy Spirit indwells you, church. And you have a responsibility to be looking out for your brother and your sister. It may be that even right now, the Holy Spirit is bringing someone to your mind. That's your God loving other people through you, saying, trust me to give you the words. Trust me to give you the ways. Repent of cowardice and self-serving and protecting this little place of comfort. Repent of being self-righteous and crushing and pointing the finger, and I've got it figured out. And listen to the Holy Spirit and seek the highest flourishing of those who are around you. Number two this morning, as a society ought to be, we ought to be humbly supportive of each other. Notice what Paul says beginning there in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So the Holy Spirit creates a community that is seeking each other's highest flourishing by being gently assertive, but also we are now to be humbly supportive of each other. We are to be standing next to each other and bearing each other's burdens, watching out for each other, and supporting each other to the, to the degree that we can. What we need to understand about this passage and passages like it in the Bible and in the New Testament in particular is when the Bible calls us to support those around us, it is dealing with primarily financial issues. In fact, the bulk of the language in this passage for our time together this morning is really centered around financial ideas. Though it has general applications, the language here is financial. And so we err, as we did in the first point, on one of two sides. We either err on the side of I'm not going to let any freeloader get away with not working hard, so I won't give, I won't support, I won't care for. That's pride. Or we err on the side of, I'm simply going to enable somebody to continue freeloading because I don't want to unsettle them and I don't want to upset them by drawing a line in the sand and saying, I can't support you because I'm supporting you in an unhealthy way. So, as with all things in the New Testament church, we're to be led by the Holy Spirit. And what we see is, in a society that is not as it ought to be, we cannot do this politically. Only the church can do this. Only the church can exist in perfect balance between cowardice and crushing, between freeloading and supporting. Politically, we can't do this. Our current political race proves my point perfectly. You've got Barry Sanders self-proclaimed democratic socialist on the far left saying, let's get after the billionaires. We need equality of wealth in the United States. And then you've got Donald Trump. I am very rich. <laughs> that is the spectrum right there of our political race right now. And what you see is that fallen society apart from the spirit is going to go further left 
and rob those who are working hard for the sake of the freeloading. I know that's a, that's a broad statement about socialism, and for those of you that are economy majors, I'm sure I'm going to get an email, but <laughs> that's, that's what it is. <laughs> to the far right, which is the glorification of greed and dog-eat-dog capitalism. The Bible is both socialist and capitalist. It is kingdom community. It is kingdom-centered. It is both benevolent support and bearing the burdens of those around us while also having a work ethic that is integrous and self-supporting and doing what needs to be done to feed our families and to care for each other. And the key is, as a church, we are to be maturing in this balance of socialism and capitalism, having a kingdom-minded community reality. James Dunn says, mature spiritual community is the one which is able to distinguish those loads which individuals must bear for themselves and those burdens where help is needed. And so the church is to be the society of equality and industrious hard work. And humility is what leads this. Why? Humility is required, first and foremost, to receive help from others. Now, moving off of the financial to the more general, in this room, there are burdens that we are bearing right now that we're not to bear by ourselves. but pride is keeping our mouths shut. Some of you in this room are having marital issues, and you're not talking about it because pride is keeping your mouth shut. You're unwilling to receive counsel. You're unwilling to listen to the community of new humanity around you to truly become you, to be gently assertive with you. And so pride is keeping you in a prison. But it also takes great humility to support other people. Why? Because the minute we begin to take on somebody else's suffering, the minute we begin to support and bear up the load with them, we can become self-righteous. I've got it figured out. I'm the one that's mature here. And if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've met this guy. And his nose is way up in the air, so high in the air, he's got a little snow cap here on the top of his nose because his nose is so high in the air. He walks about, oh, would you like me to counsel you? I'm a very wise, mature discipler. <laughs> and he has this air of confidence about him, and, and, but there's a lack of humility. He, as much as anybody else, is using you, not seeking your highest flourishing. And so as a society of new humanity, we are to be gently assertive and we're to be humbly supportive of each other. And I wanted to focus in on this point and make some very practical applications for us that we can take away from this Sunday morning and pray about through this week and through the rest of this year as we approach next year. Each of you have a God-given capacity that you are to fulfill. God has created you and given to you a capacity to bear your own burdens and to bear the select burdens of those around you. God has ordained that, and God has commissioned you for that very purpose. There isn't a single person in this room or listening to this sermon online right now that does not have a commissioned, foreordained, prescribed capacity to bear your own load financially, emotionally, spiritually, and to bear the specific loads of others financially, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Maturing Christian community means that all of the loads in this room are born equally. We are to be dreamers and imaginers like Marx, like Ayn Rand, 
like the great socialist thinkers, like the great laissez-faire capitalist thinkers, we are to be dreaming of a society where this room is equal, where each has exactly what is needed and no less and no more. We're to dream of a society that is equal ethnically. Class, classism is equal. This is to be a representation of that, and we are to strive towards that. We are to dream about that. We are to pray for that, and we are to be maturing in that. Sadly, within the church, what we see is these classic cliche statements that 20% of the work is being done by 80% of the people. Wait, I didn't say that right. <laughs> That's what we're dreaming for. <laughs> we are dreaming for 80% of the people to be doing the work. The fact is 20% of the people are doing the work of mission, doing the work of burden bearing, doing the work of counseling, doing the work of giving, while 80% of you squirming in your seat <laughs> as I'm gently assertive with you are missing opportunity to be blessed, missing opportunity to grow, missing opportunity to bear the burden that God has called, called you to. A lot of this is the fault of the leaders and the pastors of the church in the past generation. The consumer-driven church is this gnarly animal created by business-minded CEOs who got marketing savvy and said, the gospel is to be commoditized and it's to be, it's to be marketed and it's to, to meet the felt needs of the people when the Bible never even got anywhere near that with the gospel. So this engine of the consumer church, give to me entertainment, give to me funny pastors, give to me light on theology, don't call me to labor, don't call me to sell everything and give to the poor, don't call me to meet with the man that I don't like and take it on the cheek, don't we created that. The leaders created that. And some of us are deeply repentant of that and longing to overcome that and call the church back to her, to her glory, which is a community supporting each other, loving each other, growing with each other, where we have absolute total equality in the midst of each other. Here's some questions that we should be asking ourselves. Now, this is fascinating to me because last night and even through this week, I found myself Here's a point in the sermon where you get all geared up. This is where you get passionate, and this is where you just kind of lay on the guilt. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me last night, early this morning. I've given them the capacities. I'll tell them what to do, Danny. <laughs> so just ask these questions, and I'm going to bite my tongue, all right? <laughs> Have I prayed and tested my own work? Ask that question this week. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Have I tested my own work, or am I boasting in my neighbor's work? the pastors, the deacons, the elders, all the people that volunteer at Taproot Church, and I call that my home. But am I contributing? Am I bearing my load? Am I involved in community to the degree where I can be gently assertive with somebody and they can be gently assertive with me, where we can know each other well enough that we can support each other? Am I involved in that degree? Am I bearing the load that God has given me? Pray that this week. And what you may discern is that much of the load that you're carrying is a load that you've put on your back that God did not and he wants to take off. Much of the burden and the busyness and the frenetic pace of our lives is because we are devoted to the flesh and devoted to this world and we need a recentering and a reorienting around this new humanity and a kingdom to come that's not of this world. And so pray and ask those questions. 
some areas of need that we certainly have here at Taproot Church that I'm persuaded many of you are being called to step up into, and many of you have stepped up into these areas, but there's primary burdens that we're bearing as a church right now that I would ask you to earnestly pray about and step into. Taproot kids, uh, Steve and Roberta, definitely need a good long rest. They've been just going at it, and we need two or three of you to step up and say, I'm gonna take the head of this for a month or two. I'm gonna give them a break. I'm gonna bear their burden. I'm gonna bear the burden of the children. I'm gonna commit to that. I'm gonna do that so that we have teams that are giving reprieve to other teams. Uh, Deacon Paul and his precious wife have overseen the setting up and the tearing down of this space. In November, they're heading off to Asia, back to Cambodia for a season of rest and just seeing family. We need you guys to step up and say, I want to be trained. And so you can talk with Roberta about getting involved in Taproot Kids and not just getting involved, but saying, you know what? I actually have been given the capacity to lead this for a season, to help, to step in at a very high level. We need somebody, two, three, four, five guys or girls to step up and say, you know what, I'm coming alongside Paul. I'm going to bear the burden here. I'm going to help administrate. I'm going to recruit guys to come in. And then you can talk with Deacon Will about getting trained on how all of this mess gets set up and taken down every single week. The building project. These are areas where we can bear the burden with each other where we can talk about it as an HG saying, can we go on a Tuesday night and work? Can we commit a Saturday day? I hope every single one of us comes to that fasting and prayer weekend. That's the greatest way to bear the burden together, that we all quit eating for a weekend and just look to God and say, God, bear this burden for us. Gospel leadership. I'm totally persuaded that men and women in this room, though it's a burden, though it's, it's going to be challenging, though it's going to take time out of your day and it's going to require reading and thinking, you're being called to further leadership in the church, further more mature discipleship and bearing the burden, and about eight million other areas in our lives and in this church that need help. Ask that question. Finally, before we move off this point, somebody is sitting there right now cussing underneath their breath, just another manipulative pastor laying on the guilt and the shame because I'm not doing what I should be doing. Oh, this is why I'm not coming to church anymore. Listen, I just want to tenderly and carefully be very assertive with you. This is anything but manipulative. This is an invitation to the greatest joy you can imagine. Let me put it in perspective for you, because you're not like me. I think about death all the time. It's kind of part of my job. (laughs) When you're laying on your deathbed, I'm being totally serious. When you're laying on your deathbed, are you going to look back over your life and say, I wish I invested. I wish I would have. I wish I could have. Because every chair that gets set up in here is another floor on the high rise of Paul's kingdom. Every tiny little toddler that gets tenderly talked to is another floor, another diadem in the the king's crown that gets put on you as a reward eternally that will never be lost. And every decision that is of this world and for this world, by this world and for this world alone, dies and goes to its grave, and there it stays. This is not manipulative. This is an invitation to you. It's a loving, pastoral invitation to you from the Spirit, through the Scriptures, to embrace and invest in the eternal joys and rewards of God 
so that when you're laying on your deathbed and you don't have clout and you don't have everything that this world had and you're facing Jesus, you'll have that ring of diadems around your crown that you'll cast at his feet. Pray about this. Put it in perspective. Think about this deeply and let the Spirit incline you. And then, because we're Taproot Church and doing our very single best, when you approach those leaders, keep after them. Keep pushing into them because they're as busy as you are and bearing their burden is pushing into those ministries and, and not expecting everything to be lined out for you, but you saying, God has given me this capacity. I'm gonna do what it takes to get involved. Be there, do this, do that. And when that's happening, revival happens. Things explode. Souls are changed. Marriages are transformed. We got to move on. Society is not as it ought to be, but the church ought to be gently assertive. The church ought to be humbly supportive. And the church ought to be joyfully generous. Again, this language is absolutely financial. We talk about money when we need money. And we talk about money when we come to it in the scriptures. We're very unapologetic and unabashed and unashamed. I don't turn red-faced talking about money. I think it's one of the most important topics in the Bible because it gets right to our hearts. Notice what Paul says here in verse 6. One who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. It is a very direct and clear command to the people of God to be materially and financially supportive of the leaders, particularly the leaders that labor in the word, to support them to care for them. And I can assure you that this church over the years has so cared for my wife and I, so I need not put the plea out there as some point of pain in my life. We are well cared for. But I want you to see that it is biblically honorable and it is biblically beneficial to give to your local church in the support of your leaders and in the support of those ministries because what you give financially of time, talent, and treasure benefits the community around you and shows the society around you how it ought to be. Tom Wright says this, if church members sow to the Spirit by giving solid practical support to the church's ministry, especially in teaching and preaching, they themselves will in due course bring in a harvest. If, however, they sow to the flesh, spending their resources on the numerous pleasures of ordinary life, then all they will have to show for it will be the corruption and decay to which everything in the world is ultimately subject. Fine houses fall down. Splendid clothes wear out. The ministry of the word builds up people and communities, and the life they have will gloriously outlast death itself. When you give, you are giving to eternity. Now, some in this room would say, I've given, and the leaders that I gave to misused the funds fine. That's on them. I think that we are so autonomously and individualistically focused, we think that when we give, we're giving with some sort of right to that cash. What we're saying is, Lord, in faith, I'm giving this to the glory of your name. And if that fool goes out and buys a $1.2 million jet with my money, fine, I probably won't give to that again as a means of wise stewardship, but I gave that to your glory for, for my own good. And I think for some of us, there needs to be that course correction in our hearts. I'm not going to give because I don't trust the leadership. Well, that means you don't trust Jesus. And it doesn't matter what the leadership does. Now, of course, pray for Pastor Jim, Pastor Darren, Pastor Danny. Pray for the elders of this church. 
Pray for our outside counsel that we receive counsel from, both financially and in leadership style. Pray with us and speak to us about these things. We have an open book policy at this church. There's nothing to hide so that you can feel safe and say, I'm giving to something that will be used for the glory of God. This is a sensitive topic. The money thing is a sensitive topic, and this is why. Math and money does not lie, okay? This is why this is so sensitive. What do I mean by that? Math and money does not lie. Math. Take and look at your budget monthly and add up where you're investing your funds. Add it up. And math and money will show you where your priorities are. It will show you directly how you think about joy and how you think about investment in the kingdom. Pray earnestly. Ask the Holy Spirit, show me, Lord, through math and my money where my heart is actually tangled up. And then just be brutally honest with yourself, like I've had to be this week, sitting there going, holy moly, I'm missing opportunities here. John Piper says, there are three levels of how to live with things. You can steal to get it, or you can work to get, or you can work to get in order to give. The Bible pushes us relentlessly to level three. The issue is not how much a person makes. Big industry and big salaries are a fact of our times, and they are not necessarily evil. The evil is in being deceived into thinking a six-digit salary must be accompanied by a six-digit lifestyle. Now, Paul makes very clear that where and what we sow, we will reap. God is not mocked. Yes, this is where I get out my prayer napkin and start sweating. Sow your seed today. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> that's about as Pentecostal as we get right there. <laughs> Paul is not only talking about the finances, though, family. He's talking about generally, too. Where you're investing your time and your energy and your focus, when you're alone, what do you think about? That's going to reap harvest, no matter what. God is not mocked. This pervades every form of religion that we have in the world. Karma, bad juju, all that kind of stuff comes from the biblical principle that what you put into your relationship with God and your relationship with God's people and your relationship with the kingdom to come is going to bear fruit. And what you put into this world and self and the flesh is going to bear the fruit of corruption. And the Bible is absolutely unapologetic about this. It's very clear. It's an invitation to great joy and great peace and great reward or an invitation to corruption, decay, and worms and loss. That simple. And that's why these passages and sermons like this are so uncomfortable because it's so simple. It's so straightforward. Nobody can sit back and go, did he theologically mean this? No. Where you sow, you will reap, Paul says. And so take heart, check, pray, ask good, healthy questions. Now, along with this, I wanted to make one comment because I know many of you are coming into Christianity and you're new to your Bibles. This idea of sowing and reaping may help you. Maybe you're the one that's sitting there saying, Man, I don't know about this Christianity thing. There's just so much evil in the world. You know, Pastor Danny, you opened up with you opened up the sermon with, you know, 
12-year-old sex slaves and ISIS and all these horrible things. How can a good God oversee them and let them get away with it? This passage is for you. The Bible is very clear. The problem of evil is not a problem at all. It was punished in Jesus, and it will be purged from this planet. It's part of the reason that I've remained a Christian in the midst of this ought-to-be society that is not. Because when I read the Bible, and when I hear the teachings of the New Testament church planters, and I look at the life of Jesus, and I think upon the resurrection, I am given legitimate hope in the midst of bombs blowing up and 12-year-old sex slaves and doctors selling unborn baby body parts for money. I am able to say, they will reap. There is justice. And that I will take my stand on. Joyfully, thankfully, that I will take my stand on. Finally, as with the last point, just another manipulative pastor trying to get into our checkbooks. Not the manipulative part, but definitely trying to get into your checkbook. (laughs) Why? It's an invitation to joy. It's an invitation to reward. Guys, I am persuaded that the American church is going to be, we're all going to be in the kingdom together. If you're a Christian, we're all going to be in the kingdom together. But we're going to be in the nosebleed bleacher seats, the $7 mariner seats, (laughs) sitting way back, way back. Is that Jesus way down there? And you know who's going to be down there? The people that were just absolutely destitute. The widow who comes with her might and says, I I just give it all. And the joy of the kingdom is actually going to be, she deserves to be in the front row. Look at how high her high rise is. God is perfectly just. But I have found myself as an American Christian oftentimes, especially when I first became a believer, saying, I'm leaving the United States. I'm going to get in a canoe. I'm going to go find the pygmies. I'm going I'm to preach it to those who haven't heard it. I'm going to live an aesthetic lifestyle because I just don't want to be swallowed up by this. And God said no. So we have to check and balance ourselves and recognize our affluence and recognize that the poorest person in this room is 800 times richer than the bulk of the history of humanity has ever been. And it's an invitation to sit down and let math and money really reveal your heart before a holy God who says, I'm so in love with you. I'm going to be tenderly assertive with you. I've borne your burdens. Now, bear the burdens of others and give that you might be set truly free. And then we close with this this morning. We ought to be persistently hopeful. Paul just puts it this way, and I love this passage. This passage is such a mainstay for me. Verse 9 of Galatians 6, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's what I've just come to call a holy, spiritual, stubborn tenacity that reaps a harvest. There is just something about saying, I am not going to give up. I am going to keep praying. This was illustrated to me recently in my own personal life. I remember reading in the book of Proverbs, give of your first fruits and your vats will overflow. I had just left a very lucrative construction position to take on a youth pastor job at a local church. And because money was thin, that local church was not able to pay me very much. And we were poor as paupers. 
I mean, I can remember times right after Sophia was born where I was just like, oh God, how am I going to feed my family? And going home and there would be like some good soul had bought us, bearing our burden for us, had bought us groceries and just put it up there on our little deck in our little two-bedroom apartment over there on Rose. And I can remember holding the Bible up to God because we gave 10% back then too. Poor as paupers, we didn't care. We set that rhythm and we've always prayed to give more than 10% in our personal budget to the Lord, to benevolence, to various works of mission. And I held the Bible up to the Lord and I was like, this is not true. I was mad. I was reading it. I'm praying for potatoes. Just give me some potatoes. Where's the overflowing vats? Here I am 15 years later from those days of prayer in our poverty, and I'm just like, holy moly. Lord, just show me how to give it away. It's embarrassing almost how well cared for we are. It's embarrassing that I have a closet full of however many shoes I have and however many clothes I have and this wonderful home with a roof over it and heat in it and this spread of not only food but organic food on my table. And I find myself saying, wow, 15 years, but not only have you, when I read that verse, met it, but at this point you've met my expectations And I'm almost, I can't even imagine another 20 years of walking wisely with a good budget and giving to God what overflowing vats actually looks like. And then I think about the kingdom. And I'm just like, here, just throwing dollar bills at the church (laughs) because I want it in the kingdom. I want it in the kingdom. For some of us, I think there's that necessary encouragement to persistence this morning to pray and study and fellowship and get involved in community and push in. I think for some of us, we need that nudge into gospel leadership. I am saying, sign up today, apply, commit your life for a year to studying deeply and thinking about the church, and then get sent into leadership at a very broad and very multiplying level. I think for some of us, you're discouraged this morning, there's that latent sin. There's that frustrating circumstance. I think for some of us, there's the overwhelming scenario in our life that we're praying for the breakthrough on. And Paul this morning is saying to us that as a society, we ought to be the most hopeful. We ought to be the most hopeful, persistently hopeful, just downright ridiculous, stupid hopeful. Why? Imagine this scene. The leader that you have vested all of your hope in is taken into a court of law judged, killed, and buried. It's over. And three days later, a couple of his lady friends that he hung out with come sweeping into a meeting saying, I just saw him alive. Hope is birthed in the resurrection. And you may have everything taken from you, your health, your wealth, your family. And if we persist in this stubborn, spiritual, holy tenacity, there will be a harvest that is reaped in time to come. The only way that we live this out ourselves this morning is if we understand that Jesus is gently assertive with us. Have you allowed him to be gently assertive with your life? To come and say to you, snake 
to come and say to you and ask you the questions. Who is it that you're involved with right now? What sin in your life is plaguing? Have you allowed him to be gently assertive? That's what communion is. It's our time of letting the Spirit just ask us questions. It's letting Jesus get to us. The reason we don't bear our burdens and bear others' burdens is because we have yet to give all of our burdens to Jesus. Jesus this morning comes in communion and he says, I'm the ultimate burden bearer. I take all the load of your guilt. I take all the load of your shame. I take all of your fear. I take you as you are and I yoke you up to myself. And my burden is easy and my yoke is light. The lighter you allow Jesus to make your burden, the greater your capacity to be burdened by others and bear your own load. In communion this morning, come to Jesus and allow him to lighten your burden. His sovereignty has put up this situation for you. The scenario is not an accident. He's not angry with you. He is infinitely in love with you. We will give when we understand what God has given to us. In fact, to the degree that you understand the gospel, this will be the degree that you give of your time, talent, and treasure. There's an endemic anemia and immaturity in the Western church because we don't have a deep, mature understanding of the gospel, so it stultifies and stops our flow of giving back to God who has given us everything. Meditate on that. Think through that. Do I understand that I have infinite riches awaiting me, that he is no fool who gives away what he could never hold on to? Jim Elliott. And he is faithful. Our persistent, stubborn tenacity and hope is built in the faithfulness of God, not us. That's where we're placing our faith.